0: The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8th, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Seret.
2: There's 300 campus organizations in California that tried to get University of California system to pass a resolution that connected Israel and Zionists to the George Floyd murder, and it was based on the fact that in 2012 the Israeli consulate in Chicago had some sort of seminar for the Minneapolis police. No proof that any of the, as a matter of fact, three out of four of the officers weren't even hired by then. No proof, nothing. And somehow that this seminar turned an otherwise nice department of police into raving racists who hated blacks, hated people of color, and because they were somewhat came in contact with Jews from Israel. Think for a second. Does this make any sense at all? If you
0: enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again. Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today?
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads.
0: A case study, author Scott Shea, challenges the proliferation of anti-Zionist conspiracy theories championed on college campuses by both the far right and the far left. Scott tackles the thorny question of how otherwise brilliant minds willingly come to embrace and espouse such patent falsehoods. He explains why Zionism, the movement for Jewish national self-determination, has become the focal point for both far-right and far-left conspiracy theories. His keen analysis reveals why Jews serve as the canary in the coal mine. Conspiracy U delivers an urgent wake-up call for anyone who cares about the future of civil society and is concerned that universities today are failing at teaching students how to strive for truth, but rather guiding students to blindly trust theories driven by ideology. Conspiracy U provides a roadmap for reform based on universal moral and intellectual standards and offers a way out of the culture wars that are ripping America apart. Scott is a leading businessman, thought leader, and author of several widely read books. He's a founder and executive chairman of Signature Bank, a New York lender, catering to local middle market businesses and one of the financial success stories of the past decade. He dedicates a large part of his time to Jewish community work, the Chai Mitzvah Movement, the local Jewish federation, and his modern Orthodox synagogue, Kehilat Jesharun. Scott Shea, welcome. How are you?
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Richard. Thank you for having me.
0: Likewise, likewise. Conspiracy U, a case study. What made you feel compelled to write this book?
2: Well, I I felt compelled to write this book because there is a proliferation of conspiracy theories about Jews and Zionism on campuses today masquerading as scholarship, both from the far right and the far left. And in this case, I think that the Jews are just the canary in the coal mine. Not that it's not bad for Jews themselves to be persecuted, that's also a problem. But I think it's a a broader issue that society's facing whereby strange theories in academia are actually negating real facts and assisting people in losing touch with reality of political personal and other situations so i felt i spent 20 months with essentially all my discretionary free time writing this book
0: so let's uh, let's talk about the word conspiracy because my podcast is called conspiracy unlimited and I have another program called The Conspiracy Show. And I call yep. it that because I think, I think there are conspiracies. I think conspiracies, yes, they can be theories, but they can also be crimes. And I talk a lot about assassinations and I talk about government conspiracies. They have state secrets. They don't always have our best interest in mind. Some of the worst atrocities, as we know, have been committed by
2: governments. By governments.
0: Pe- people that we're supposed to trust. Yes. Uh, but obviously there is, and, and, and I've always said, uh, that the Jewish people were the victims of the worst conspiracy of all time, and it took place at Wannsee in Germany in 1942. That was a cons- They conspired. Yes, the Nazis got together and they conspired to exterminate the Jews. That's a and conspiracy.
2: Eight, and eight out of fifteen people there who conspired and with at Wannsee were people with doctorates. So there's no, there is no guarantee that well-educated people are nicer or more moral. But I think here's the key, and I explained this in the book early on, which there's a difference between a theory about a conspiracy, and you can have that, and that's valid, but usually you can test that with facts. Ultimately, you could test that there's a, uh, what happened at the Wansi, um conference. You can test what happened in the Tuskegee uh, uh, inoculations of African-Americans, uh, or non-inoculations, non-treatments of African-Americans with syphilis. You can, you can, you can, you can test those theories. They're susceptible to evidence. And if you prove them wrong or correct, then they become accepted. Conspiracy theories typically are, have facts or anomalies that people pull together. They are non-verifiable. They are also non-falsifiable. So, for example, the people who think that the Holocaust—who contend they don't think this isn't called thinking—who contend that the Holocaust was some sort of myth have to disregard huge numbers of documents, huge amounts of proof, because they're and whenever they find an anomaly that says or a something that indicates that the Holocaust did happen, well, they said the Jews were just too good at either covering up or they missed something. They never actually have any proof. And when you find something that falsifies a conspiracy theory, there just is a new corollary or adjunct or segue from the conspiracy theory that encompasses that as well. And the other thing about conspiracy theories is typically they have a political motive. So, for example, in the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory, and I'm glad I can talk because, uh, in shorthand because your listeners all know probably a lot of these conspiracy theories. So I'm happy to be on your your podcast. But the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory makes no sense. But it was, and and this is a commonality of conspiracy theory to many conspiracy theories is it has a political motivation. So with Sandy Hook, the political motivation was to um, argue that there shouldn't be gun control because this really didn't happen. Or in the case of, for example, QAnon, those were supporters, far right supporters of, let's say, of Donald Trump. And by the way, there are conspiracy theories on the left and the far left. So I just happen to pick two right, two ones on the on the far right. But um, I mean, QAnon, one of the adherents who's a congresswoman in the United States Congress claims the Jews have space lasers and started uh, forest fires. I mean, here is, and it's owned by the Rothschilds, totally made up Zippo evidence. And yet again, whenever you come up with anything that falsifies it, there's a new theory, a new adjunct to the theory.
0: Let's talk about conspiracy theories on the college campus. And I don't know if these are conspiracy theories or just a lack of an understanding of history in terms of the formation of the state of Israel, what Israel has to deal with in terms of its neighbors, uh, how it's dealing with the Palestinian issue. But now we have and, and. Typically on college campuses, we tend to think of people being liberal and tolerant. And yet this is fairly new, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but to see this kind of anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism on college campuses being also propagated by college professors who are likewise fairly left-leaning is is, is a new development.
2: Well, let me, let me go to the first part of your question first, because I think there's an important distinction to make too. And then I'd like to get to the second part, which the first part is, There is a difference between harsh criticism, even if it's unwarranted and biased and a conspiracy theory. So harsh criticism of Israel, you could be really angry about the checkpoints or really angry about whatever it is, but evidence can be shown that it's one way or the other. And your criticism may be unwarranted, but it's not a conspiracy theory. What's going on on campuses is worse than harsh criticism because on the far left, there's the sense that there's a cabal of, of Jews, Israelis, Zionists, whatever the term that is being used at the moment, who are conspiring to harm people of color, to harm Palestinians, all being covered up under slogans such as uh, pinkwashing, um, organ stealing. I mean, things that have nothing to do with reality that somehow Israelis Are conspiring with police departments across the globe to oppress people of color, those are conspiracy theories. There's no evidence for them. And whenever you do find evidence for that, for not evidence, the conspiracy theorists come up with new secrets. Now, these conspiracy theories are actually surprisingly up out of my research, not so new. They're direct descendants from Soviet conspiracy theories about Israel. And you can actually follow it and and plot it on a timeline. Yes, it's morphed, they've morphed some, but in the Soviet encyclopedia, it talks about Jews conspiring as Zionists with reactionary bourgeois nations and bourgeois, bourgeois nations and bourgeois classes to oppress working class people, to oppress people of color, et cetera, et cetera. There's this notion That there's this secret conspiracy again and again that is trying to harm people. Now, what's remarkable is when you read the words on the far left, it's that Jews are conspiring to harm people of color. If you read professors who I cite on the far right, and believe me, surprisingly, there are professors on the far right, they may have gotten their tenure first, that's for sure. They don't come out as on the far right until they've got tenure, but at the same time, they say the same thing about Jews. The Jews are somehow, a professor I cite from Northwestern University, talks about how Jews created this myth of the Holocaust, conspired, gaslit the Germans to believe that it exists, that there was a holocaust, gaslit people to confess to perpetrating the Holocaust. Stunningly crazy, but he says something that if you just change the names, could come from the far left, which is he says that Jews are essentially Jews slash Zionist or conspiring with people of color to oppress white people. All you have to do is reverse the terms and it either actually say almost verbatim the same exact thing. And that was what, and and what I learned is that Those theories, those conspiracy theories, are essentially direct descendants from neo-Nazi conspiracy theories.
0: Which also stemmed from the Elders of Zion myth, which was also very popular during the Weimar Republic.
2: Yes. So the Elder Protocols of the Elder of Zion, was made up, was essentially, most of it comes from a French novel. Nobody ever thought, I'm sure the novelist never thought that he was going to have his book turned into a conspiracy theory, basic text. It was adopted, essentially written under the commission by the czars. So again, you know, it had a Russian background. It was adopted by the Soviets. And if you can read the Soviet, the the great Soviet encyclopedia, it it refers to it. And then at the same time, on the far left, you now see in circles where it's being reprinted and where it's being used as, as, as though it were fact. And it's a fake text. And yet people are uh, are using this, again, both on the far right and on the far left. The thing that, so there's two, I'm sure you've, 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 you've encountered these books, two books, um, one by uh, um, Kasim Kwasam and one by um, uh, Jevin Bayford on conspiracy theories. They're both professors who have written about conspiracy theories. They're both a little surprised that, what they found when they catalog conspiracy theories is that many of them have to do with Jews. Not most, not all. There's Denver airport. There's other conspiracy theories that don't really have to do with Jews, but if you catalog them, a substantial majority, somehow some way has a touch point on Jews.
0: How much of that, this Jewish conspiracy is informing this whole BDS nonsense, boycott, divestment, sanction yep. against the state of Israel. Is that, it, to your mind, falling into the harsh criticism category? Because I don't see it that way. I mean, I, if you're, it's like saying to Italians, oh, we love Italians, but Italy shouldn't exist.
2: You're a Honor, you hit it.
0: Is that informing BDS conspiracy theory, or is it harsh criticism?
2: So there can be harsh criticism. I think there are probably are a few people on the planet who can who can raise their right hand and you can find that they are BDS adherents and they're not conspiracy theorists. However, for most, that's not the case. I mean, I've read BDS folks and they immediately uh, go to Israel being some sort of settler colonial state. In other words, Jews lived in Europe, never had an indigene- indigenuity in were never indigenous to um, the area and parachuted in and somehow of metropole someplace else, again, all made up and all to oppress and do it, create a genocide of Palestinians. That's made up. There's no fact to it. Um, and yet, if you read BDS literature, that's exactly what it says. I mean, I have one, prof- I, I cite one professor who's a well known professor, been at a couple of universities, uh, fancy universities. And he writes this glowing piece comparing um, uh, Hassan Nasrallah, who's the leader of, of um, Hezbollah, as being, in the, in the, as being like Mahatma Gandhi and being like Nelson Mandela. And saying basically, "Not and Nasrallah says every Jew on the planet should be murdered. There should be none left. And here you have a professor, a full professor, director of a liberal arts uh, program um, saying all Jews should be rep. He happens to be a prominent supporter of BDS. For most of the activists in BDS, and I show cite some professors here too, they all say that BDS is just a part of the armed struggle to destroy Israel and have no Jews from the river to the sea. And so BDS is a nice way to say we're recruiting other people and we're just harshly criticizing Israel. And no, we're not against all of Israel. We're just against this. But if you listen to the um, the, the originators, Omar, Omar Bugatti, and I can give you a list, Jasper Puar, the list goes on and on. It's actually for destroying all of Israel. And they don't make any bones about it. But it's not so nice to say that. I'll give you one quick example, if I can. Anti-Semitism, you referred to, is a made-up word. It was a German person, Wilhelm Marr, hated Jews, hated Jews terribly. And at the time, the term for hating Jews was Judenhaus, Jew hate. So he didn't think that was a polite way of getting his point across. So he came up with anti-Semitism and started the Anti-Semitism League because it sounded nicer. BDS sounds a lot nicer than, let's destroy Israel and kill all the Jews.
0: All right, Scott, just hold on. We'll take a quick timeout, come back and discuss further. Scott Shea, the author of Conspiracy You, a case study, stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. There are so many crazy stories on The Dead Files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love Tales of the Paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire.
0: It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS 60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years and during the day we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c 60 evocom richard Serret, or click on the C60evo link in the episode notes. Use the code E V R S at checkout and save 10%. E S S sixty from C sixty Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today.
1: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. What that means? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: We're back with Scott Shea, the author of Conspiracy You, a case study. What do you do in the book or when you go out and you speak? What tools are you providing for people to deconstruct these Jewish conspiracy theories?
2: Well, the first thing that I, I, I tell people to look at is, first of all, think for a second. You know, there's 300 campus organizations in California that tried to get the University of California system to pass a resolution um, that connected Israel and Zionists to the George Floyd um, murder. And it was based on the fact that in 2012, that the Israeli consulate in Chicago had some sort of seminar for the Minneapolis police. No proof that um, any of the, as a matter of fact, three out of four of the officers weren't even hired by then. No proof, nothing. And somehow that this seminar turned an otherwise nice department of police into raving racists who hated blacks, um, hated African-Americans, hated people of color, and because they were somewhat came in contact with Jews from Israel. Think for a second, does this make any sense at all? So I, I try to tell people to think about it. Think for a second. Does Israel being a settler, colonial estate make any sense? Think for a second. Is Israel really mining or, or uh, harvesting organs? Just think. Most people don't do that. They just take the slogans. The second thing I tell people is look at the golden rule. You know, judge evidence as you would want evidence about you judged. If I started saying all these vile things about you, and it was supposed to be accepted, would you really want that? Think about how you'd want evidence about yourself judged with some care, making sure that it was accurate, as opposed to just taking in these memes from the internet and whatever's bad today, saying it's the Jews' fault. I mean, Gaza's connected to climate to climate change and to global warming. I mean, think for a second. And most people, unfortunately, who are susceptible to these theories aren't thinking or they want to be part of that in crowd.
0: The Jewish people have always been at the forefront of civil rights movements, marching alongside African-Americans and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. hand in hand during the 1960s. And now groups like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, other left-leaning or progressive organizations who believe they're fighting for social justice and civil rights have this element of anti-Zionism. What's going on here?
2: So I grew up um, and my parents' generation of Jews were very, very active in the civil rights movement when it was dangerous to be so. And I know personally people who are older than me, who marched in Selma, who were in Birmingham um, and who were arrested and um, because they felt that their Judaism was part, parcel of making sure that every single human being was viewed as a child of God. And, um, And it's very disturbing. To be personal on a personal level, because I know some people have made great sacrifices um, in their careers and their jobs years ago, not recently. Because, but during the '60s and during the times again when it was dangerous to go in the South in certain areas and be supporters of the civil of of, of the black community, and the 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 um, truth of the matter is, I think most of the black community. Does support Israel. Most of the African com- American community does support Israel, and they realize the commonality of the struggles. Even though my skin is white, um, certainly Jews have gone through two thousand years of various de- uh, oppression, forced Im- forced emigration, um, and the like. And Herzl, in his book, when he starts out, he says, "I want to." I want to liberate, I want to I create the Jewish state, but then I want to work with the Africans who have also been colonized, who have also lost their states. And I cite in the book um, Israel's efforts to partner uh, with African countries right after its birth. There's no history in Israel or in the United States of Jews opposing or not being supportive community-wide of African-Americans or of people of color. Now, there may be individual Jews who weren't so good. And I, you know, there's individuals of all different types who aren't so good, but you can't throw that on a whole community or a whole identity group. So it's just a lie. um, But it's a useful one because, again, it goes to pathos. You know, you're trying to, uh, the thing about conspiracy theories is they try to, touch some emotion, which is, which can be manipulated. And if you say to people that Jews are oppressing or have a history of being against people of color, then that will, I don't want to say coerce, but it'll coax people into saying, Oh, I better believe that because if I don't, I'm somehow a bad person. And I go through in the book about how, conspiracy theories connect with people through generally ethos or pathos, saying this person said this, the ethos, or if you don't believe this, you're a bad person. If you don't believe this, you can't be part of our group. If you don't believe this, you're hurting us more. I mean, there's one article I cite where there was a social, uh, a, a woman of color, um, uh, actually also a lesbian, you know, hit, and, and to- extremely progressive. And the only thing was she thought there should be two states in the, in, in the Middle East, a Palestinian one and an Israeli and an Israel and a Jewish one. And she was uh, essentially de D uh, endorsed by the social demo, by the, by the, uh, by the um, social justice Democrats um, only because she disagreed on one issue. And and, and articles were written about her, you know, that it hurts us more because somehow these Jews, these Zionists, oppose people of color. And if you connect with them, then everything else you stand for is thrown out. So it's it's, again, politically motivated. So
0: after the 1619 project and this is related I think just bear with me. Then it was proposed by Donald Trump that what we need is a 1776 project. We need to start teaching civics and teaching about American greatness and and why it's in a unique experiment and so forth. Would you like to see something similar alongside because America and Israel great allies, Canada Israel great allies. Do you think it would be useful to have something similar to a 1776 project in our schools where we teach people about the formation of the state of Israel, how, for example, Israel has offered the Palestinians their own state on five yeah, different occasions. 5
2: You're hundred percent right on that. And uh, most people, if you read many textbooks in world histories, there's something about um, the ancient Israelites. There's something about, you know, the, 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 that and, and Western civilization in the beginning. There's nothing That's generally covered about the Jews until the Holocaust. Um, I mean, it's really very, very sad. And so I do think education is important, but I think it's a, I think a true education is important because the education of false indoctrination, which is what we're getting now, is troublesome. So in my book, I cite a study where there were 1,400 people surveyed. 700 were asked one set of questions. 700 the other, and they were paired. So they almost were identical sets. And they asked they asked um, four questions about Jews, one, um, and about others. One to one group, one to the other group. So if in and one of them was it, should the military prohibit um, observant Jews from wearing yarmulkes from wearing kippot. And the separate was second group was asked, should the military prohibit um, Sikhs from wearing turbans? Uh, one was about Mexicans, should Mexicans in there, if they, are they uh, guilty or should, uh, guilty of dual loyalties or should they vote with respect to dual loyalty and, and consider Mexico in their votes? Um, and then Jews, should Jews um, be permitted to, to, to care about their votes? And it went on in Sabbath observance, the same thing. So questions, similar. It was found that 5%, You were if you went to college, you were actually five percentage points more likely to say, and the questions were almost all, it was almost identical, about five percentage points that the Jews shouldn't be allowed to wear the kippah, the yarmulke, but the Sikhs should. And then if you went to graduate school, the differential grew to 15%. So actually education, because it's become in some areas indoctrination, makes people more anti-Semitic. And that's why the real education, the sort of fundamentally, I would like there to be education about what are theories all about, showing people how and why and the dangers of theories negating facts. Because people have a theory about Jews, it's going to negate facts. People have theories about all sorts of things. And it actually negates facts and quickly morphs into non-falsifiable conspiracy theories. So I think problemat- I think part of the problem is people aren't being taught to think straight. And that is such a danger to our society. I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, I don't care what you are, I don't care far left, right, far, far right, far left, you should be able to think and tell truth from 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 theory. And so I'm going even more fundamental. And we need it. I, I actually suggest that in the book, too. We need to start teaching about basic scientific and evidential methods.
0: That's coupled also, I think, with a couple other forces. One is moral relativism. Would you agree that that is? Well, and also postmodernism where there's no such thing as objective truth.
2: Well, that is actually one of the points that I do make in Conspiracy, Year, which is Everything that's brought us to today has been because we believe there's one objective truth. I may have different opinions about that. I may have a different opinions, but our ability to actually create modern society is that we have to have a shared sense of what's, what happened. And when we lose that shared sense of what happened, there's no end to how bad things can get. Because now you and I would be talking on different realities. We couldn't even communicate. And by the way, that's what's happening. People can't even communicate because they're not speaking the same language, because they have no shared sense of reality. So I'm really quite worried. And that's why I spent all my free time investing, you know, writing and, and doing research about and uh, about this issue, because it could lead to the breakdown of it could lead to the breakdown of society if we lose how to judge facts.
0: Indeed, hundred uh, percent. How do we get a copy of Conspiracy You, a case study, Scott?
2: Well, it's uh, please uh, consider pre-ordering it. Uh, I'm asking your listeners. It's right now available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, uh, it's going to be available in bookstores everywhere. It's being released October twelfth, but people can pre-order now, and it's it's basically going to be widely distributed and. I'm happy to make this just about my first uh, interview um, uh, on the book. So I appreciate the opportunity and um, I hope people read it because I think it's, I think people are going to be shocked at what tenured professors are writing at universities and getting published by well-known academic presses.
0: It is disturbing to say the least. Scott, thank you so much for your time.
1: A pleasure. Thank you, Richard.